to persevere in the faith, to grow in their confidence in you and in the future that you have promised. For those who know not Christ, I pray that they would come face to face with the need to put their faith and trust in our Savior. Lord, aid us now in this time together in the Word. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I watched the live stream of a university graduation ceremony recently. I assure you, not for the entertainment value. Graduation ceremonies are not a whole lot of fun in person. Online they are, I think, even less so, but I digress. Uh, An eminently successful graduate of this secular institution delivered the main address to the graduates. He was a capable speaker who sprinkled words of seasoned wisdom into his speech. But as he spoke, kind of as it was continuing, it struck me. This is a sermon. What this guy is doing is is, is a sermon. And every place a biblical sermon would have appealed to God or magnified his name, this man just inserted self. It was fascinating, and it held true all the way through. He exhorted his audience to believe in themselves, to seek joy in themselves, to transform the world by their own innate powers, to determine their own truth. This secular conviction stands faith on its head by grounding it in purely subjective feelings and intuitions and the experiences that one self-interprets. It is a faith empty of true confidence in the future and it is useless as a foundation for ethical choices. It's not grounded, what we do is not grounded in who God is, but rather in what we subjectively want to do and believe. Such subjective faith only serves to drain away hope in an already hopeless world. One of the fundamental distinctives of our Christian faith and one of our highest privileges is the liberation of living by faith in God and in His promises. This is very basic to us, but we should, particularly in light of this text, rejoice in this reality. This is not a life we singularly choose for ourselves. It is rather a gift from God to live by faith. To live by faith, to live by the conviction that God is and that His promises are assured. That is the abundant life. That is a life with hope. That is a life that is grounded. Because it's grounded not in the limited self, but in the ever-present infinite God of the universe. And that brings us to Hebrews chapter 11 and this great chapter of faith. At this place in our journey through Hebrews, we emerge from the glorious but often challenging doctrinal development of the book to this chapter on faith. 
But it's important that we grasp that the theme of faith nicely flows from what has been developed to this point. Let me just note that briefly here with you, chapter 10 and verse 21. Chapter 10 and verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, that is a conclusive statement to all that has been stated to this point in the book, we do have this high priest. Verse 22 of 10, let us draw near then with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Note the word there. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Notice that word faithful. So we have our faith in verse 22 and the faithfulness of God in verse 23. Then work down in chapter 10 to verse 38. By my righteous one, my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So the ethical response to who Christ is, to the risen high priest who has shed his blood for the forgiveness of his people, the ethical response to this is for us to live by faith in the Savior, in the word that has been delivered to us. We are not of those who shrink back. We are not of those who drift away and apostatize and are destroyed, but of those we belong to that community that has faith and through that faith preserves their soul. The call to persevere in the faith demands that we live by confident trust in the objective external truth revealed by God to his people. Think of objective, not subjective, not from within, but from without. It is that external word by which we live and persevere in the faith. But before Hebrews 11 begins to provide a string of illustrations of faith in the life of God's people and the implications of that faith, the author begins here in verse 1 with the simple question of what is faith? How are we to understand what faith is? Here it is. We have, first of all, let's consider the description. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The things that are hoped for. As we know, hope in the Bible is a present expectation of a future reality. The vibrancy of such expectation depends on the trustworthiness of whatever assures that which is to come. That future reality. So, picture in your mind a a mom. She operates an in-home business. And once a year for this business, she's got to take a four-hour trip one direction to pick up supplies for the year. And while she's on this journey away from home, she receives a call from a potential client that she's really, really wanted to land, really hopes to impress. Uh Uh-oh, trouble in River City. This potential client says, I want to meet you at your house at this time. And she knows that she's going to just get there at the same time. And her house 
is a mess. I mean, it's bad. It's just gotten away from her and it's just a mess. So she's on the road and she calls her, calls home, calls, finds her 12-year-old son is at home. And she explains a situation and says, can you please clean the house to the best of your ability for me? And with a mopey, okay, if I have to, the call ends. What kind of hope does she have? Not much. This is not looking good, is it? And what does she do then? The whole way home on this trip, she's worrying, fretting. Where's he at? Is he getting it done? Should I call again to see if he started yet? She's, her, her response is dictated by the lack of expectation that she has. Her hope isn't very strong. But imagine that the call is different. She calls and finds that her husband's come home early from work and says, hey, no sweat. I'll take care of it. It'll be beautiful by the time you get home. Don't worry about it. Do you see how that's going to affect her ride home? She's like, this is good. This is wonderful. And her whole demeanor is relaxed and joyful on the trip home because she knows she has good reason to believe where this is headed. Now all of you wise saying, I want a husband like that. Don't that's, That was not the point. Christian, our hope is not in a good husband. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our faith is grounded in the existence of God and His promises. That's real hope. That's hope that nothing can bring to shame. Hope is the assurance of the things that we hope for. Assurance, do not read that word to mean uh, feeling assured. Like the, the, the mom here, like she's feeling assured right now. But obviously something could happen. Something could happen to her husband. Something could happen to her home, to the situation. Not, not that, but rather the word that is translated here, assurance, speaks of an established objective reality or even a tangible substance. What is in the future, we cannot touch, but in a sense, faith touches it. It's in my hand. It is the presence and the promise of God Commentator John Brown said, Faith, in a sense, gives present existence to realities yet future. A present existence to realities yet future. Now here, we've got to take a pause as we continue to work through the description of what faith is because some people hearing what I've just said are going to read that the wrong way. I trust no one here, but if so, I hope to be helpful and there are those who do read it the wrong way. They think that what God is saying is that if we will speak the word, it will become reality. That if we make certain claims, those claims will come true. That we have the power to create reality by the spoken word. That is not the idea here. Because in that system, there is a fundamental trust in self 
I determine what I want to be, and therefore I speak that word, and it comes into being. This is foolishness, and it is blasphemous. True faith rests not in our arbitrary claims to health and wealth, but rests in God's promises to His people. And so we have assurance in that sense of the word. It's like we can touch what isn't yet here. The second phrase there, the conviction of things not seen, this phrase parallels the first, repeating the idea for emphasis. The things not seen primarily, I think, are the realities that we've not yet met in time. They're yet out there in the future. But faith is the conviction that those things are coming and also, I think, that those things are there. For verse 6, we read, Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists. He's there. And, here's the future, He rewards those who seek Him. We know that He is here, He is there, and He'll meet us there with His reward. That's faith. The conviction of things not seen. So, the, so a certainty that God exists, that His Word is true, that His promises will come to pass, a certainty so strong it shapes our thoughts, our words, our attitudes, and our deeds. In a, in a rough way, we illustrate that with the mom in the car. Her response, her attitudes, her thoughts are shaped by the expectation of what is to come. For the believer, multiply this over and over again. Our confidence is in God. Our confidence is that He is there and that what He has said will come true. And so I live my daily life in light of that. As we think of what is that faith, time limits the discussion which could go for some time on this point, but just to think of the content for instance. It means that I live my life with the full conviction that God will never leave me or forsake me. I know this to be true. Hebrews 13, 5. It means that I live my life no matter what takes place, no matter what suffering comes along the way, no matter what difficulties I face, no matter how circumstances may seem to say otherwise, I live every day knowing that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Romans 8 and verse 28. There is a sovereign God and I rest in that and I trust in that. It means that I know that Christ will return. He said to His disciples in John 14, 3, I will come again. Bank on it. I trust in it. It means that I trust the resurrection of the dead the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive will be caught up to be with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15. We sang of that today. Was there in your soul a response that yes, that day is coming? The resurrection of the dead is in the future and I can taste it now. 
It means that we will bow the knee in homage before God's judgment throne, Philippians 2.10 and 2 Corinthians 5.10. I know that day's in the future. I know it will come. It means that we know that we are being glorified, being conformed to the image of Christ from one stage of glory to another, 2 Corinthians 3.18. It means that we believe that we will reign eternally with Christ on the new earth, 2 Timothy 2.12 and Revelation 22.5. These promises, these realities are out there and I live as if they will be realized. It changes how I live Let's focus on that point for a moment. The influence then of faith. It is this confidence in what God has promised will come. It is this trust in who He is and what He has said. The influence that it has is that when we genuinely trust in God's objective presence and promises, think of that phrase, His objective external presence and promises. He's there and His promises will come true. When we genuinely trust that, faith motivates us to live as if God's promises concerning the future will actually come true. Faith influences us to live as if God's revelation about the unseen world is true. Now we, we live like this. this. This woman in this car on her way home is just one small demonstration of how we live our lives this way. You're going to take a four-day trip to Texas at this time of year. Well, Texas can be anything at this time of year, and so you look to the weather report and it says 70 degrees every day. Or you look to the weather report and it says 30 degrees every day. Well, the, the, the prospect, the thought of what's coming in the future then dictates the way you pack your bags. If you're going to really believe in this weather report, wouldn't advise it, but if you're going to believe in this weather report that it's going to be 30, you're going to pack much warmer clothing than if you're really convinced I can break out the shorts and t-shirts here. This is going to be fun for a Minnesotan in January, right? We live our lives. Now, we don't trust much the things of this world. But brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the rock-solid revelation of the Creator and the sustainer of the universe. When He says it's going to be 31 degrees, it's going to be 31 degrees every single time. And so much more. We have the word of the author of history who ordains all that comes to pass. He is writing history, not making it up as he goes, but he knows the end of the account. He knows where he's taking humanity. And so when he speaks his promises, we can bank on it. We can trust it. If we really believe that, it will influence the way we choose to live our lives. Living daily in confident trust of what God has revealed, in fact, is, uh, is the abundant life, and it pleases God, according to verse 6. This is what faith is. 
What difference does faith make? We've hinted at it quite a bit here already, but we see it pointedly here in verse 2. For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, that is living by faith in the existence of God and by faith in the promises that will come to pass, the people of old commended themselves. Who are the people of old? This is believers under the Old Covenant, some of whom we will consider as the chapter unfolds. They receive their commendation certainly from one another, but ultimately their commendation was from God. He approved of the way that they lived. That's an amazing thought in itself. That God is pleased with us as we live by faith in what He has said. We all know that pleasure. If I tell somebody, I guarantee you this, and they believe us, there is a joy in that, right? We, we, we appreciate that. And so God knows as he tells us what is true, when we believe it, he is pleased. There is fellowship there with him. But let me say in the other direction, a common element in the stories of faith that we will walk through here by God's grace over the next few weeks A common element in these stories is rejection by the world. Christian faith always swims upstream. We cannot be popular on this earth and on the new earth. If we live by faith, we will offend a world that lives by sight and by trust in subjective feelings and intuitions, foolish ideas and sensual interests. We're going to live very differently. We will also confuse a world that has no confidence about eternity when we lay up treasures in heaven and live for eternal reward. That's going to make no sense. We will offend a world that lives by sight when we live by faith. This is the difference that these people evidenced in their life. The way that they lived, it changed how they decided to go about life what they said and did and thought. Well, where does faith start? The author moves there next before getting, you see there in verse 4, to the example of Abel and then to Enoch in verse 5 and on the chapter unfolds. But before going there, we can ask the question, where does it start? The statement found in verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. I'll offer here a few illustrations that are, that are personal. This is personal for me. This, this verse is very personal for me. And I trust that it is for you. But let's consider at first, verse 3, the, word, the faith, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. The Word of God here is not, as we're familiar with the word logos, it's not the Word of God, or might even think of that, that it refers to Jesus, but rather the word rhema, a reference to the spoken word. It's what we were reading in Genesis 1 earlier this morning. It is supported by what we read in Psalm 33 and verse 6, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made 
and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. That's the idea here. The spoken word of God is the source of the universe. So faith is fundamentally forward-looking. But we note here that faith also looks backward. As it looks back in time, faith trusts what God reveals about former days. Here the emphasis falls, of course, on creation. It says here that we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. By understanding, how do we understand that? We understand it by means of divine revelation. God tells us that this is how the universe is created. We couldn't figure this out. It is received humbly from the one who brought it into being. It's personal. I go way back in ancient history to junior high science class. Our teacher let us have a debate on creation or evolution. I'm not sure if public schools have those kind of debates now, but they were somewhat doable back then. And the creation group won. The class voted for creation, which I think just meant that their families believed in creation, not evolution or something, but I don't think we did such a great job debating. But we won. We were pretty excited about it. I was in the creation group, and I was thrilled about it, and, uh, well, the teacher not so much. So he, uh, an adult with these 14-year-olds, spent a whole day explaining to us how foolish it was to believe that God created the universe and proving to us that the world evolved. His, clen- his clinching argument in rebuke of Genesis chapter 1, was this. Was Moses there to see God create the universe? Dead silence. These are 14-year-olds. We have no answer. It's like, yeah, wow, he wasn't. How did he know what happened? Oh, how I wish I could go back to that moment in time with this brain, but with this experience. I would have loved to stand up today and say to that teacher, were you there? Was Charles Darwin there? Was Plato there? God was there. And only God could be there. I mean, you can say there is no God, so no one was there. Or that God was there. The only one who could have been there was God. And he chose to reveal how he did it. It's that simple. It's that profound. And again, many will say, well, there's no creator and there is no revelation. But these same people place full confidence in the physical evidence that they filter through the grid of their own subjective determinations of what is and what is not possible. And so I'm reminded of these ancient days again, just a few years later, where there was a debate on public television, imagine these days, a debate between a pastor and a leading evolutionist. It's kind of a big deal. It was on public television and a lot of people watched it back then. 
the two argued didn't see anything eye to eye. It, it was pretty much a mess. But it was really interesting that at one point they came to one place of agreement. What was it? They both agreed that we base our understanding of origins on faith. The evolutionist was honest enough to say, I believe. As the pastor, of course, said, I believe. It's a matter of faith to anyone who's honest. As people of faith, we trust the truth of God's revealed word. Paul mentioned earlier this morning as he was leading us into prayer that we serve a God who speaks. That's it. We do. He spoke the world into existence so you can believe this revelation and spend the rest of your life living in its light or you can disbelieve this revelation, reject it, and you will spend the rest of your life trying to prove it's wrong. The very first verse of the Bible acts as a sharp wedge that peels every soul off to one side or the other to belief in what God has revealed or to unbelief in it. The heritage of faith starts at the first verse of the Bible. Genesis 1.1 The universe did not materialize by chance out of nothing we say as those who trust this word of the Lord. The universe does not demonstrate mind-blowing order, creativity, and functionality apart from a designer. The universe did not transition from animate to inanimate, from plant to animal, from animal to man by luck or fate. And evolutionary theory has no explanation, utterly none for the virtue of human rights, racial justice, support of immigrants, and compassion for the weak and the poor. Those are all people you should eat, not protect. But if we believe that God created us, the implications are far-reaching, aren't they? Believing God is our creator means we owe our very lives to him. God is creator means that he is our designer, that he is our lawgiver. He alone can know how we are to live and to prosper. God is creator means his word is our life and his will our only hope in life and death. God as creator means that we who are made in his image are called to subdue the earth to his glory and to his honor. God as creator means we honor and steward the earth. We don't worship it. The qualifying phrase that we find here at the end of verse 3, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, is a life raft. What is seen, the physical universe, was made out of the things that are invisible. What is made is not made of what is touchable, tangible, visible. 
So the world was not made out of eternally existing matter, but rather out of nothing by the spoken word of God. This verse saved me. I was studying for a master's degree in history and I was focused on ancient history which got me into reading a lot of philosophers, Greek philosophers who had a very convincing way of explaining that matter is eternal and therefore in my thoughts as I read them maybe God is not necessary to the equation. I didn't believe it, but I was grappling with it. I was wrestling with it. Plato can be fairly convincing. And in his Timaeus, he laid out a whole system that posited that material universe was always there, though in chaotic form. Then there's these perfect concepts, ideals or forms they're called, and something began to move. He didn't really care what it was. God or something, but it began to move the material in the chaos and it, the world began to form. A corrupt, evil place, but I guess better than chaos. But the, it, everything hinged on the fact that matter was eternal. And I remember to this day reading these texts, probably too many of them, and just saying, I wonder... And doubt came in. And this verse saved me. I remember right where I was sitting, University of Minnesota, in a library, and I read this verse. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. That was it. I can't explain why and Obviously, it was foolish to be thinking where I was, perhaps, but there was an explosion of faith right in that moment that has never died. God was there. He revealed what He did. He spoke the world into existence. And we will come to reject that the rest of our lives and prove it wrong, or we will receive it by faith in the God who made the universe. Very clear here and very necessary. So, looking back in time, faith rests in God as creator and sustainer of all that is. Where are you on Genesis 1-1? Did God create the universe and reveal that truth to us? As the scriptures unfold, we find, however, the course that faith looks forward but as we see here, it also looks backward. But as it does, it folds over on itself or it is hardwired with the future aspect as well. I draw here a beautiful statement by Philip Hughes who says this. Notice this. The eye of faith, to, for the eye of faith, the future cannot be separated from the past. The origin unfolds into consummation, and the end is already in the beginning. 
In Christ, God reconciles to Himself the world He created. Faith, then, must embrace creation as well as recreation. Hence the affirmation here that it is by faith that we understand that the world was created by the Word of God. The doctrines of creation and recreation give meaning to each other. Where we see the Creator at work, on the other side of the fall in the garden, we see the recreator at work. And so I ask in light of this text, Christian, to what degree does your faith in God, your belief that He will meet you at every turn on the road ahead, your conviction that He will fulfill every promise of His Word, to what degree does your faith influence the decisions that you make, the attitudes you entertain, the words that you speak, what you do, and who you desire to become? Are you truly living by faith? Our need is to come to the Lord and to cry out for a robust faith, to live my daily life in faith on the God who is and rewards those who diligently seek Him. And yet, we remember the words of our Lord, don't we? If you have faith like a mustard seed, you can cause this mountain to be removed into the sea. It will obey you. Jesus is not enticing us to levitate or evaporate mountains. He's not teaching us that we can bring about our own reality if we just believe hard enough. He is saying, really, that it's not great faith in God that matters. It's faith in a great God. And He is indeed great. We can trust Him when we do not know the way to take. When life decisions are difficult to make, we can trust Him in suffering, both in trouble and in persecution. We can trust Him as we battle sin. Indeed, we must. To know that He will meet us on the road ahead with His mercy and grace as we walk in obedience. An unbeliever, He is your Creator. He is, and you can trust Him. Indeed, you must trust Him. Trust Him with your life as the one who recreates souls. You've trusted yourself all your life. However long or short your days on earth may be, you've trusted yourself. It's time to throw your trust on Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and the assurance of eternity in His glorious presence. And isn't that beautiful? It's not do this. It's trust Him. Put your trust and your confidence in Him. This is no blind leap of faith into the darkness. It is the only rational response to the reality of an empty tomb and a resurrected Savior who has promised to return for His people. Let's pray. We trust in that promise, Lord. We long for the day when faith is made sight. But even now we praise You that faith touches that future reality in a sense. It gives subsistence to it. And I pray that we would as a church indeed live by faith and that You would, by Your mercies to us in Christ, continue to draw all of us to the Savior. 
those who are yet separated from Him, we pray for recreation. We pray for a new birth for those of us who have received that new birth. I pray that we would learn to live by faith, by confidence in what you have promised, by confidence in your presence. We're tested every day of our lives to live by sight, to live by sensate experience. Teach us to live by faith that we may please you and know life abundant and free in Christ, in whose name we ask these things. Amen.